Hey, welcome to Halfway Decent, Halfway Decent Podcast about art history. I'm Mike. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to Season 2 of <laughs> Halfway Decent. Is that what we're calling this? A second season? I mean, I think anytime we take uh, an extended break, uh, sure. whether intentionally or not, <laughs> just switch seasons. Who knows? This might Sounds be, great. This may be just like an episode-long season. Sure. And then next season, maybe three episodes. This season's in that guy's house. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we're back. Yeah, um, we are. A little bit Finally. of a long hiatus. Sure. Complications with the dog. Yeah. We got a dog. Yay. She's now our mascot. She's an art dog. <laughs> she, you may hear her in the background being obnoxious. It's what she do. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but we're back. So, Sarah. Yeah. Since we're back, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? Well... I thought we would talk about Johannes Vermeer. Oh, sure. We can talk about him. Yeah. What do you want to say about him? Well, well, the first thing I want to say is, Michael, what do you know about Johannes Vermeer? I know that his name sounds like a veneer. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's about the extent of what I got. All right. Is that helpful? Mm-hmm. I mean... Helpful for me to know where our baseline is, yeah, which it's, is zero, it's apparently. <laughs> I haven't been doing a lot of studying in the interim. <laughs> well, okay. So, Jan Vermeer Jan. is what we'll call him, because yep. Johannes is too much. takes Correct. too much time. Actually, I'm probably just going to call him Vermeer. Um, so, he lived from 1632 to 1675. So, that's... That's the time frame we're looking at. About 30 years. Mm. Like my age. It's 40, 40 years. 43. I did bad math. It's fine. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fine. fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Um, so we don't really know a ton about him. Um, there are only like 34, 35 of his paintings remaining. Okay. So, and what we do know about him... Um, most of that knowledge comes from, like, old inventories or legal documents. We don't have a lot of, like, diaries or letters or things to really tell us a lot about his personal life, about his inner thoughts, about any of his opinions on the art. None of that. Just his art. It's pretty much just hmm. the paintings. Okay. Okay. So, I think we're just going to go ahead and jump into our first piece of art. Awesome. Okay. Okay, so, um, Michael, instead, this time usually I, I mean, usually I make you a little PowerPoint with the images that we're going to look at. PowerPoint. Indeed. Um, this time, for you and for our listeners, um, Google Arts and Culture actually has this really cool situation uh, with all of Vermeer's works. Um, they have all of them. Um, and you can, it's got all kinds of articles if you want to read more about what we talk about. Um, but he has, they have all of his works, um, that have been scanned. And so you can zoom into super, super detail in on them. So, um, that's what we're going to use. Um, if you want to, we always say Google along with us, Google arts and culture along with us. But Sarah... Um, Yes. Our Instagram. We'll still put it on Instagram. Yeah. It's fine. By anyway, the way, hey, Google a... Arts and Culture. It's called Meet Vermeer. Yeah. V-E-R-M-E-E-R. 
and quick plug for our Instagram if you yes. want to just see the photos of yes. the art and not actually um that too if you want to don't want to do the super deep dive or if you want to interact with us I mean that too please find us at halfway docent on Instagram on Instagram and Twitter but nobody ever uses that, we, so don't, we don't use our Twitter anyway no. okay so we're gonna start out looking at a woman holding a balance as you can see um, we have a woman um, who may or may not be pregnant it's like debated whether that's just like the fashion of the time or if she is pregnant. But you know what I'm not like, going to do? I'm ask not, her. I'm not going to ask her. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a polite a person. person. Yeah. Okay. So you have a woman. She's holding an empty balance, waiting for it to like settle, to stop moving. Um, and you can see on the table in front of her all of the things that she's going to weigh. She's got pearls and jewelry and all kinds of different things in a little box. Her blue jacket is lined with, or trimmed with fur. Um, there's a white hood. Um, and something that if you go to the this Google Arts and Culture site, or if you just generally broadly Google Vermeer's work, um, you'll see that um, a lot of his work focuses on one, maybe two figures. Um, and he is referenced many times as the master of light hmm. um so m a lot of his pieces have um there's like a window or some source of light that you can't really see but that light kind of filters through and lights the whole scene yeah um which see, is what you're seeing here yeah for sure i see that uh up in like it, there's it even looks like it's almost like light coming through that curtain mm -hmm. at the top corner exactly uh, then shining onto her and illuminating the figure. Right. So, um, so we have this woman holding the balance, the jewels in front of her. Behind her is a painting of the Last Judgment. Um, and so, as you might imagine, um, this sort of juxtaposition um, is considered in a lot of places an allegory, perhaps. So, um, there's sort of some different interpretations for this painting. One, um, do you remember, Michael, when we talked about in, when we were talking about Manet's bar at the Folie Bergère? I do, yes. Um, and we talked about Vanitas? Yes. Do you remember, I mean, I know you remember the word, do you remember at all what that concept is what that means is is that where you are putting a figure of yourself into the nope okay nope. then the answer is no nope. <laughs> good guess mm -hmm. Vanity. Um, right yes yes uh so that's the idea that um it's sort of like a reminder of our mortality uh, okay and um so that's some people have interpreted it as sort of a vanitas she's got all of these worldly treasures while behind her is mm. this reminder of the last judgment so all these worldly things we collect but mm -hmm. in the end we die and can't take it with us exactly kind of exactly yeah. so um it might be saying like look at the futility of this woman who has all these things um another interpretation would be that because she is so serene in doing this 
um, that she kind of knows her place, that she has a balance in her life between the worldly things and the more spiritual things. Just because she has things doesn't mean she's focused on those things. Right. Interesting. Um, And another thing that might support that is um, what you might not realize because it's not super, super clear, right in front of her. So we have that sort of window with a curtain, but then right in front of her, there's actually a frame and that's a mirror. So it's like she's having these... (laughs) metaphorical but also very literal reflection on what she's doing um and so some people have said like she's this is sort of vermeer's saying like using her as a model of like this is what you should do take a look at yourself (laughs) exactly exactly with many vermeers um and i think um the next one we look at you'll see it even more um but a lot of his um they're very sort of pensive it's almost like you're sort of creeping around a corner to see this scene and you almost don't want to interrupt what's happening because it's so like serene and sort of um self-focused not so much like a voyeuristic type of uh approach but a like a setting where everything is so serene and almost peaceful that you don't want to interrupt it. Exactly, gotcha. exactly. Um, just sort of one more note on this one, um, that her gaze on the balance and the painting behind her um, suggests severe Vermeer. Vermeer. Whatever, it's close <laughs> Was a Catholic, which there's... If you want to do a deep dive into Vermeer's story and the Netherlands at that time, there was like this big rift between Catholicism and Protestantism, and it's it's a whole thing. He married a girl and became Catholic, if I'm remembering correctly, and that was like something that you, you didn't do. Yeah. It was like a big deal. Anyway. They unequally yoked. Something. Um, anyway, but that... Um, the balance with the painting behind it uh, might suggest this Catholic view. There's um, a saint, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, um, who instructed his believers to weigh their sins as if facing Judgment Day. So I think that is probably the broader message of the painting versus, Hmm. like, look at how vain this lady is with her jewels. It's almost like she recognizes the... Uh, nature of mm-hmm. what she has in front of her yeah. is sinful. Right. Yeah. Deep. It's, yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Do you want to see the next one? Always. Okay. Waited with bated breath. Indeed. The next one we're going to talk about is has several different names. It doesn't have like an official, this is what Vermeer called it, name. Um, So it's referred to as the artist studio or the art of painting or the allegory of painting. Take your pick. I pick one of those. Mm -hmm. So what we have is um, in the painting, there is a woman who is posing in a blue dress and an artist who is painting her. So the woman in the blue dress is dressed as Cleo, who is the muse of history. 
That is a wild title to have. The influencer of history. The muse of history? They're like the muses? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, they, they're kind of not the influence, but the uh, inspiration, right? Sort of, yeah. I mean, to inspire all of history. <sighs> it's fine. Yeah. I don't know how the muses work. <laughs> Can I tell you about why we know that she's the muse of history? Oh, yes, absolutely. Why she's Cleo? Um, so the laurel wreath on her head symbolizes honor and glory. The trumpet in her one hand is the proclamation of fame. The book in her other hand uh, symbolizes historiography. So these are like the things that you can see in other artworks or, I mean, I guess artworks, to know when you're differentiating between the muses, classical muses, that that is Cleo muse of history okay okay i believe you i okay. believe you okay so um the artist is presumed to be vermeer himself though there's not actually any indicators that it is did he have long hair i mean sure so did <laughs> everyone it's fair you know um it's like you know a, a beard on a guy today it's like did he have a beard? So, so did every hipster. Who knows? That is cutting, and I feel mm -hmm. personally attacked. No, you don't. You love being a hipster. Anyway, so we don't know for sure if it's supposed to be Vermeer, but we just kind of assume because he's the artist. Because most artists like to put themselves into their own paintings. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So now we're going to get into the fun stuff. Ooh, fun. Okay. So, in the background, there is a large map of the Netherlands. This is called, known as the Low Countries. And there's a crease and sort of fold down the center that creates a shadow that divides. And the map is sort of turned. <laughs> so, the shadow that goes <laughs> vertically actually divides the north from the south. Okay. Gotcha. So, the map is... Turn, turn sideways 90 Correct. degrees i gotcha um and so this shows the political division in the territory in 1648 and um, after the treaty of munster and so it it left dutch republic to the north and um the southern provinces were left under spanish rule it feels a little bit like a depiction of the united states today <laughs> one might say one might say um and so the the southern provinces um that was the Habsburgs is like the dynasty gotcha um for lack of a better word um and they are also symbolized by the chandelier that's ha hanging above the girl it's a double-headed eagle and that was like the symbol of the Habsburgs that was like their crest or you know, whatever I often wonder when you see I guess that it's more mythical but you see like a double-headed eagle and my first reaction is that grew up near a a nuclear power plant or something sure. that yeah. doesn't seem Chernobyl healthy evil. yeah the church <laughs> Jeez. 
It's fine. Uh, that would be the flag of Chernobyl, wouldn't it? Probably. I don't know. The double-headed eagle. Anyhow. Uh, Three-eyed w- fish. <laughs> That's Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it, it probably does come back to, like, mythology and... Symbolism. Yeah. And all that kind of I stuff. Don't, I didn't look that far into the Habsburgs to find I'm, out what that means. I'm not asking you. You know what? Yeah. Everybody press pause. <laughs> you know what you do the work (laughs) we're tired right you're lucky you're getting a podcast right now (laughs) this episode's over now you can also see on the left hand side and this is a kind of another hallmark of vermeer's work that there's a tapestry that hangs and is kind of drawn to the side almost like a theater curtain as i say it looks like a curtain being pulled aside exactly um and it kind of draws us into the scene you, it makes you want to like peer around that curtain yeah. and see what's going on it definitely gives you that uh what you're talking about before where you're pe- like looking in on a scene happening mm-hmm. like almost passing by and exactly having this look in exactly so this was a um technique that was borrowed from landscaping and it's called uh, i don't know what the french is repoussoir um but Perfect. um it was used in landscaping they would put you know like a tree or something on the edge of the painting to kind of frame it in on the side yeah um and it actually makes you even though it's framing it, it makes you know that there's, like, more there in Give, a way. Yeah, it gives you the idea, like, you happen to be passing, like I said before, passing by and exactly. happen to... Interesting. Yep. Um, another interesting thing about this painting and something that is further debated by people who study Vermeer's work is that um, it has a depth of field, which means that the curtain in the foreground for example is kind of blurred but the model is clear Hmm. and you get that kind of perspective that kind of depth of field when using a camera yeah which was not invented yet sure but what was invented is a camera obscura which is basically like a camera without any film in it. So if you think about looking into the viewfinder of a camera, you can, and especially if you think about um, using a camera like with a lens, um, I mean, honestly, even if you're using like your iPhone um, where you can focus on different things, you know, you want to focus on that tree across the street or the person right in front of you or, you know, those different layers of focus and you Mm -hmm. can see your camera adjust um so if you think about if you're just looking at that without actually taking a picture that's basically what the camera obscura was um and so that was kind of the beginning of the process of turning a 3d image into a 2d image um and so it's kind of it's kind of debated whether or not he would have been using that um because he he did have that perspective or if his artist mind artist eye just saw things that way yeah interesting no way to know maybe he had a cataract um sure no Mm, maybe maybe (laughs) um i feel like you don't like my ideas 
just unfounded, but maybe. Sure, hey, maybe. Y- uh-huh. Let's take yes. it to the tape. Go back uh-huh. like 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And listen to where you said nothing really is known about him. I mean, that's fair. That's what I'm saying. Like, maybe. Yeah. But you seem doubtful. Probably not, but okay. maybe. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, once again, like most Vermeers, the subject, so to speak, of the painting is light. Yep. In this one, we don't see the source, but we can see its reflection throughout. Um, you can see all of these different surfaces and textures that he puts into his paintings all reflect that light um the painting shows all kinds of different types of art the mask i don't know if you noticed it there's a mask on the table there um, that was likely made out of paper mache the chandelier shows metalwork obviously there's an artist in the middle doing a painting um the tapestry was woven um there's cartography in the map um, and so it's, it's this sort of tribute to what art is. Hmm. Yeah. So what Vermeer is trying to do in this painting is to link the virtues of painting and art to the flow and the importance of history um, hmm. and sort of tie those two together, which, yeah. I mean... You know, as uh, someone who does an art history podcast, um, looking at history through the lens of art is, for me, the best way to study history. Because that whole, you know, art reflects nature, nature reflects art kind of a thing. This painting was actually one of the very few paintings in his possession at the time of his death. It was super important to him. It was much larger than most of his other paintings. It there, I think there was only one other painting that was bigger than this one, and they said it was most likely painted um, in order to hang up in his studio or whatever gallery space he used Hmm. in order to impress visitors who came like look at what i can do hey everyone don't you see how important art is and painting would you like me to paint you something come see this thing i did exactly i do it for you exactly come see how good i look yes (laughs) this painting was so important to him in fact that despite the fact that um, when he died, which was at the age of 43, like we talked about, which is pretty young, um, even though he died in debt, um, it was it remained in their possession. His wife and children saved it from the debt collectors mm. because it was so important. So after that point, his fame basically dissipates after his death. Um, he What little fame he had... I don't know. Maybe it was quite a bit. I don't, I don't know how Sarah, famous he was. You're the expert here. Mm, let's maybe not throw that word around too much. <laughs> anyway, for about 200 years, people totally forget about Vermeer. Hmm. Um, and his work was rediscovered. And by the 20th century, this piece in particular was wildly valuable. 
So much so that in 1940, it was purchased by the Nazis for Hitler's Führer Museum and was actually presented to Hitler in his private residence and remained there until it was packed away for safe safekeeping from bombs, you know, from the sure, war. yeah. Wow. And if, Michael, I know you have, but if our listeners have seen or read the book uh, Monuments Men and remember anything about that, um, this painting was actually recovered by Allied forces in the salt mine. Yeah. Wow. Along with the Ghent altarpiece yep. that we talked about. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that it is a painting linking the importance of art and history, and it has such a history yeah. <laughs> in the painting itself. You just blew my mind. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to talk about Vermeer's most famous art piece. But before we do that, an ad break. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have ads. Uh, <laughs> I was very interested <laughs> to see who our sponsor was going to be. <laughs> I mean, I can make something up if you want me to. <laughs> no, it's okay. Nobody wants that. Uh, one thing interesting about this painting, mm -hmm. the something of painting. the Allegory. Allegory of painting. Um, it almost looks like it has uh, two different light sources hmm. because there's that light source coming in from around the curtain but then also on the curtain looks almost like a light source itself oh sure almost like he's walking through a something with multiple i guess lots of places have multiple windows but <laughs> like there's multiple like there's this hidden win window behind you right, but right, also right. there's this window just yeah. around the corner of that not yeah. curtain it's a it's a tapestry tapestry but yeah. looks like it's a hung curtain. like a curtain I'm gonna, it's fine now we're going to talk about vermeer's most famous most famous most famous for sure. Although it's it will probably for most of our listeners I would say the majority of people have seen this painting and probably until this time not a one of them could have identified who it was. I mean that's not giving our listeners a lot of credit. Yeah, what for if, the average person, I will say. What if there's an art historian who listen I mean, why would they I listen? hope not. Honestly, I, that's my biggest fear is that a, there's an art historian listening to this podcast. But just disappointed. For the, <laughs> so disappointed in everything I'm saying. The average person probably does not know until until now. Until this moment that when we Vermeer you. painted the girl with a pearl earring. Ta da. Um, I didn't know. Yeah. I, you were right. Sneak peek by behind what was going on. Sarah's like, "Hey, if I showed you this picture," and I was like, "Yeah, I've seen it. Nothing. I couldn't tell you the name. Couldn't tell you the artist. Couldn't tell you nothing about it other yeah. than I have seen it before." I mean, you for sure should have probably been able to tell that it was girl with a pearl earring, because that's it's because it's literally a, all it is a girl, is a girl with a big old pearl earring. But we'll get to it. Never mind. Okay, so. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> I have so much to share. Okay, so this was painted in 1665. 
um, the dimensions of it, it's about 17 and a half by 15 inches. So not very big, pretty small-ish. Sure. Um, there's a girl in a yellow jacket um, and a blue and white turban and, as we said, this giant earring. I was going to say the interesting thing about this painting. An interesting thing about this painting is that it's actually not a portrait. It is what was called, uh, it was this type of Dutch genre painting called a trony. So a trony is um, a painting of a person. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's a guy who likes My Little Ponies. Isn't that a brony? It's close enough. Okay. So it's <laughs> not a portrait because there are not enough distinctive details um, things that a portrait sitter would want in their painting, basically. Um, so a painting versus a trony. In a portrait, the sitter is the key, is the subject, you know. Um, in a trony, on the other hand, the artist is, like, showing off their skills. Gotcha. So um, in this one, well, in, in a lot of uh, tronies, um, the figures are either, um, they have like some kind of eccentric clothing, eccentric or foreign type of clothing, or they have these sort of exaggerated expressions. Um, and so that's part of why we know that this is, um, a trony. It's not meant as some kind of identifiable likeness, um, but more like a character study. In the Netherlands, when this was created, there was this new merchant slash middle class that was kind it was kind of new that there was this middle class versus just you know the elites and the working class there's interesting there's this new middle class and they preferred particular art styles in their homes which is kind of where um this type of painting um, came about they also for example maps which you can see in lots of Vermeer's paintings um, became very fashionable because they <laughs> were they were worldly you know it showed you were well traveled um, and so this girl's turban actually sort of emphasizes that worldliness so if we take a closer look the pearl earring the titular pearl <laughs> earring actually yep. likely is not a pearl. Oh, snap. Yeah. Here are some things. Vermeer likely could not have afforded a pearl that large. He just didn't sure. have a lot of money. So that's one thing. Secondly, pearls don't come that large and in that shape. I was going to say, it looks almost like uh, there's more to it than just a ball which would be a pearl there almost looks right like it's more... almost like teardrop well even more than that there's almost looks like there's um figuring around it like there's more to it than just one piece but i mean who am i to say because i sure don't know art <laughs> um so what it was probably was either tin or glass that was mm. varnished to look like a pearl yeah um the other interesting thing about the earring is that if you zoom in super close, you can see there's no actual, like, hook 
or hole <laughs> for it to connect. It's just kind of like the idea, the suggestion <laughs> of an earring. It's sewn to the back of her ear. It's really fascinating. It is two strokes of paint. There's one at the bottom to reflect the white on the collar. Mm-hmm. And there's a dab at the top to show that highlight. And that's basically all <laughs> there is to the quote-unquote pearl earring Hmm. so did he name it that or did uh, so no someone else is like that's a pearl and they're like it's a girl with a pearl sure sure yeah Yeah. another interesting thing about this painting if you look at the girl's nose um michael i would like you to identify the exact place um, where the bridge of her nose is That's correct. (laughs) Her nose sort of blends seamlessly into her cheek. What's wild, though, if you like looking at it from a distance, you're like, oh, there's the nose. But then when you actually look at the nose, you're like, I mean, I. You like can't quite tell what shape it's kind of the idea of a nose. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) If you zoom into her eyes. The corners of the eyes are sort of undefined, and it gives her sort of an ambiguous expression. Um, She also does not have any eyebrows. (laughs) Sure. Um, But this is fascinating. So they've done a couple of, like, um, non-invasive analyses on this painting. So different techniques where they can kind of like an x-ray but doing different scans to see like the layers of paint and they can see what the paint was made out of so they know like where in the world the paints were sourced from is crazy where in the world are the paints from yes make a show but um so the most recent one was done in 2018 and in that analysis they figured out that even though you can't really see them she does actually have eyelashes Still no eyebrows for some reason, but she does have eyelashes. So the eyelashes, mm-hmm. arguably one of the least important aspects Listen. of a painting. And he Listen. Left what? Girl got eyelashes. Good for her. Okay. 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 So the background in that same analysis. So Michael, how would you describe the background of this painting? Black. What's interesting. It's very interesting. And I would advise you, Michael, and our listeners to brighten the screen as much as possible because that same analysis found out that, first of all, not only is the background not black, but actually dark green, um, but it was also revealed that it is a curtain. You can see just barely, sort of right behind her head, kind of where the turban kind of folds down, you can see that there's a little bit of like highlight and shadow in the background. And so it was revealed that what's in the background is actually this green curtain. And that it's possibly the same green curtain that features in like two or three, maybe more, other Vermeer paintings. That the ba- the background actually has texture, even though Golly. now due to age and you know poor refinishings, you can't really see it anymore. 
thought he may maybe just did way too much work for nothing. <laughs> I've been there, done that. There is also actually you. I mean, it's impossible to see, um, but there is. He right. actually has. <laughs> there's actually a signature in the top left. Um, it it's is. Right there. Sure, I can't see. <laughs> I can't see the screen. So. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I'm not saying I can't see it just to be difficult, Michael. I saw it. I just wanted on the record that the thing that I wasn't supposed to be able to see, I saw. Okay. So it's almost impossible to see. Unless you have eagle eyes like me. Shut up. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> the way he signed most of his paintings was I ver V-E-R-M-E-E-R. The I standing for Johannes for some reason. Dutch. Starts with a J. I don't know. Um, okay. But then on um, some of his later paintings, um, he started shortening it to, okay, if you can picture this, an I as just a straight line. Yep. And then a V that it sits into, almost like a down arrow. And then if you give that V legs to make it an M. So so it was I-V mirror. And he did M-E-E-R. So I, a V, made into an M. Yep. No, I totally got it. Because E-E-R. I do that with my signature. <laughs> oh, when yeah? I, well, when I initial things, <laughs> M, and uh-huh. then I cross the M to make an A with my S. Ah, yes, it's indeed. Brilliant. Indeed. So um, it's a very, a very well-designed uh, signature. You. No, not yours. Oh. God, that's just a bunch of scribbles. Um, but Vermeer's signature is lovely. Um, I don't have a picture of it for you. But I just we'll, want to say... We'll, for, we'll get one on the Instagram. For the record, I just want to say that I wish you appreciated my signature as much as you appreciated this random guy who paints stuff. Make it pretty, and I will. Whatever. So, he has a pretty signature. He does. That was just kind of a side note. That was also sort of more revealed with um, this further analysis. Um, One of the things that makes this painting so popular, um, which, again, even if you didn't know the name of it, I'm sure you have seen it. Um, It's on posters. It's... Uh, the theme of a book uh there's a book called the girl with the pearl earring and it's just someone imagining what story happened behind this painting um and there's also it that book was made into a movie with scarlett johansson if anyone knows you don't but some people might know this anyway i would argue few people do oh shush much of the popularity of the painting um, is sort of the mystery. Even though it's not a portrait, it looks like it could be, you know, someone that we know. And the question is, who is she? Right? So one of the theories, probably one of the more likely theories, is that it was one of Vermeer's daughters um, because he wouldn't have had to pay her to sit and also, he would have had as much time as he needed to paint it. Yeah. So, that's uh, that's the theory that I'm going to go with. 
It's amusing to me because I grew up uh, around the Amish who like to bring their kids out on the job sites because they didn't have to pay them either. So Sure. Yeah. Totally get that. Yeah. I mean, you know, at least in her case, she just had to wear some clothes and look at her dad. I want to put it on record. The Amish also had to wear clothes on the job sites. (laughs) I'm saying she didn't. She wasn't doing hard labor. (laughs) You dummy. Uh, well, that's fun. On that note, <laughs> the other thing that makes her very alluring is that we don't know what she's thinking. This painting often is called the Mona Lisa of the North, and it's because, um, kind of like we talked about, those he made the corners of the eyes sort of ambiguous, kind of you know the softened features. Um, is she happy? Is she sad? Is she being sultry? Is she naive? We just don't, we don't know. And it makes you want to lean in and think about it even more. Sure. I mean, I would argue, I don't think we ever know what anyone's thinking in a painting because it's a painting. I mean, that's fair, but at least often you can tell some emotion, what emotion yeah. at all. That makes sense. Um, and it, it, this one's interesting too, because like we talked about in a lot of his paintings, um, there's this sense of intimacy while the viewer also retains their distance. You know, there's a curtain between us or, you know, it feels like we're peering beyond a thing. Whereas in this one, she's looking straight at you. She's got these slightly parted lips, which might be... You know, is she about to say something? Is she going in for a kiss? We don't know. And all of these things sort of draw us in. Yeah. Just like just like that drawn curtain makes us want to peer beyond it yeah. even further. It makes, you know, all of these things make us want to lean in. And pay more attention. Exactly. This uh, also, just as kind of a final note, um, was one of the last of his paintings to be rediscovered, hmm. which is interesting because it's by far his most famous painting. But we have no idea, like, timeline of his life when this was painted or anything? Uh, this one was in 1665. Okay, so not too long before his death. Right. Gotcha. But yeah, that's um, that's what I have on Vermeer. Uh, I would I would definitely recommend you go to um, Arts and Culture and meet Vermeer on Google. It mm-hmm. is definitely neat to be able to zoom in on photos and have a uh, not just a pixelated thing, but also a uh, an actual scan of the art itself. Yeah, it's yeah, really you neat. can zoom way, way, way in, so you yeah. can see like the flakes of paint almost like interesting closer than if you were at the gallery i mean for sure it is you can't get close to that closer than you should be (laughs) for sure don't touch the art yes anyhow i mean that might need to be our new tagline don't touch the art art. but it's just art but don't freaking (laughs) touch it touch it uh just one sort of last note to kind of um wrap it up um his it was noted that um the vermeer's greatness lies in his ability to make the simple pose or gesture of ordinary life monumental and permanent Hmm. and i think that's 
really lovely. Yeah. My art teacher, uh, my art history teacher, uh, when I was in college, used to always say, like, if you see a scene and it looks like, <laughs> number one, if the subject is a female, because that's the majority of his paintings, the subject is a female and it's inside, and particularly if it looks like you're in another room looking into another hmm. room, it's probably Vermeer. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the the light on this one, too, is also really interesting. Mm -hmm. It's just like almost like a spotlight on her face. Yeah. 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 All right. So that's Vermeer. Great. Well, yeah. thanks for sharing Vermeer with me. Yeah. And thanks for listening. those listening. Yeah. Um, Thank you, too. To oh, yep. my Thank girl, my whiskey and me mm -hmm. for our intro and outro music. Thanks Go check them out. Thanks for being patient with us while we. Yes. Sorry it takes life. us so long to do these. We have jobs. And stuff. And this doesn't pay anything. <laughs> Not that we're looking for sponsors. No, we're just doing, doing this out of the, uh, just because we like doing it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, check out my girl, my whiskey and me all over social. I think they've started playing some gigs lately. We need to get out and see them. But mm -hmm. uh, if you're around the upstate South Carolina, North Carolina, and well, they play all over kind of this area, uh, check them out. Um, Museums are starting to open up again oh, yeah. and galleries. So it's, uh, it's a good time to, to get out and, and see some art in real life. Yeah. In the world. Uh, speaking of art in real life, I got to go to Mississippi uh, a bit ago and see some really cool pottery that i'd like i always think of art as like paintings or sculptures um but i don't know finding art in other genres too has been really cool and yeah. like that was a really really cool experience seeing some of that stuff but anyhow yeah get out that's a good art. that's a good plug michael so go out go to some galleries talk to the artists yeah, see what's going sure. on but remember it's just art and don't touch it Michael, hung like a curtain. <laughs> it's really so dumb. You're so stupid. That's getting cut. Cut it. Sure it is. <laughs>